Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Can we talk for a bit? Fantastic. We're going to talk on growth consciousness. I read out a statement and I said we're not called into sonship to get acceptance by the church and the world just as we are. We are called into sonship to be transformed into who we ought to be. This is one of the dangers of the new creation is that in his unregenerate or unrenewed mind, he will want to champion or advocate that since Jesus loved me as I am, you should love me as I am. Accept me for this is who I am. I mean, if I hear people tell you that all the time, say, please, this is who I am. You take it or you leave it. See, we, we have a choice to leave it. And then you get offended when we leave it. But you say, this is who I am. Take it. It's a word I put. You were the problem in the church that you left. That's what you prove when you join a local church and cause so much commotion, dissension, and rebellion. Now, your former church is better without you. And now your new local church has to contend with you. You were the problem in the church you left. That's what you prove when you join a local church and cause so much commotion, dissension, and rebellion. Now your former church is better without you, and now your new local church has to contend with you. Because you can't go everywhere and there's trouble, and you say the place is the problem. It's not possible. Everybody cannot hate you at the same time. That's why armed robbers have wives. So terrorists have families. And those wives were not bullied into marrying them. There's women that say, you are a terrorist. I know, I like it, I love you. It might be a concept that is difficult for you to grasp, but it actually exists. It actually exists. So everybody cannot just dislike you at the same time. If everywhere you go there's there's commotion, everywhere you go there's upheaval, everywhere you go there's, there's hurt and confusion, you are the problem. You're the problem. And we don't have to put up with you. You're the problem. So sonship is not a license for validation in the church. Are you here now? You are not saved into automatic validation and acceptance by the church and the world. You know what? I'm saved now. Just this is me. what, What matters is that I'm born again. What matters is that I'm not going to hell. What matters is that God loves me and I cannot lose my salvation. At that point, you are useful only to God. Are you hearing me now? You are useful only to the life to come. You might as well not be among us or not be alive. Oh, but you are saved. And your eternity is guaranteed. But you are a nuisance in church. And you are a nuisance in the world. So, We don't have to accept you as you are just because Jesus saved you. 
You hear me now? Jesus himself saved you with the you he's making you to be in view. Jesus didn't save you to validate your mess. Does that make sense? He didn't save you as a prostitute who is now okay with her prostituting. Nonetheless, that's not why he saved you. Does that make sense? But he saved you as a prostitute. He saved a prostitute. But not with a prostitute in mind. Are you listening to me? You are a stubborn person. He saved a stubborn person. Not with a stubborn person in mind. In other words, you cannot be saved and continue to claim or demand validation on account of who you used to be before you were saved. Do you understand that? You cannot claim validation, claim acceptance on who you used to be. Just because you are saved. You were saved with who you ought to be in mind, not with who you used to be. I repeat, you were saved with who you ought to be in mind, not with who you used to be. So salvation is the junction between who you used to be and who you ought to be. Now, unfortunately, in church, we look at church as that place where this is who I am. Take me as I am. When I'm angry, my blood is hot. This justice is me. Learn how to walk with me. So you find people in church trying to control everybody else to conform to them. And that's manipulation of the highest order. You are not taking an inch of yourself in favor of the other person. You are constantly asking them to take miles of themselves to your account. That's manipulation of the highest order. You will crack a joke and expect everybody to laugh and somebody will barely have cracked a joke and you're offended. Everybody should understand your humor. But you flip when somebody else dishes you their translation of humor. So, as far as you are concerned, it is only funny if you think it's funny. A very sad person. If you don't think it's funny, it's not funny. And then when you think it's funny, if the person tells you, I don't find that funny, you are offended that they don't find it funny. How can I take all this effort to be funny and you don't see it and you say it's not funny? My friend, if I'm laughing, laugh is funny. Maybe that's a joke. I didn't see that as a joke, but it's a joke. But I was offended, but it's a joke. So you're looking at the entire world and trying to regulate that through your own perspective. But the life of the church is greater than any single individual's perspective. So salvation is not a validation of who you used to be. It's not. We don't have to accept you as you were just because you're saved. Even God is not in that business. God is not in the business of accepting people just as they are. Or else you don't need anything about growth, discipleship, and maturity once you're saved. It saves you, you're out of the devil's grip, you're justified, end of story. Why does he bother to mature you into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? He's not in the business of accepting you as you are. 
He's just not rejecting you as you are. Does that make sense? It is not who you are that he fell in love with. It's who you would be. Now, he doesn't decide to fix you and then love you. That's why you are quick to settle. Because if God had told you, here is salvation, clean up and get it, you'll be behaving better by now. That's the truth. You have more sense. But the problem, in quote, is that he fell in love with you as you were dead and messed up. And then now says, I have loved you. You have received my love. Now come and become what is in my mind. So every time you refuse to change or grow, you are working against the mind of the Father toward you. And that's major. That's people working in resistance to the move of God. Because each time you refuse to change and grow, what you're telling God is, leave me as I am. This is who I am. But the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching them that denying ungodly loss. That is 2.11. So we're not called into sonship to get acceptance by the church and the world just as we are. But we're called into sonship to be transformed into what we should be. We're called into sonship to be transformed into what we should be. So what was in, in view when you were saved? Who you should be. Make sense? Not who you are, not who you were. So a, a believer, son of God, should not be caught dead saying, I'm stubborn, I know it, this is who I am. That means even your, your corpse cannot say this is who I am. How much more you alive and sane and conscious. You shouldn't be caught dead saying this is who I am. I know I have a hot temper when I'm angry, this is who I am. See, I like food if I'm not eating. If I don't have money, I'm not happy. So this is who I am. Take it or we will leave it. You are called into transformation. You're not called into validation of who you are. You're called into transformation of who you ought to be. It is who you ought to be that was in view when you were saved. So every time you resist change and growth, you are in diametric opposition to God's mind for your life. In other words, it is this rebellion, it's outright rebellion to look at God and refuse to do what he has ordained you to become. That's the message you send to divinity each time you resist change. Each time you resist change, what you are telling God is leave me as I am. You saved me, take me as I am. I don't care what your plans for me are. I don't care what you are seeing. I don't care what you say you want to do in my life. I'm okay with myself like this. So you truncate effectively, truncate the workings of God in your life. That's why we're discussing growth consciousness. Are you here now? I put here, I said, growth doesn't happen because God wills it. 
Growth doesn't happen because God wills it. Growth doesn't happen because you desire it. No, growth doesn't happen because God wills for it to happen. We are called into transformation. So sonship is not settlement into your current nature. Sonship is not permanent residence given to you, green card, to settle into your current nature. You hear that? Sonship is not settlement into your current nature. Sonship is the introduction into a total change of nature. Sonship is not even so much a change of nature. Sonship is the beginning of a changing of nature. Do you understand? Because when you get saved, you change nature positionally. If you take a boy from the street who is used to playing with sticks and stones and take him into a house, adopt him, right? Take him to a grand house that has PS4 and has an, a games arcade. When it's time to play, he's going to go outside and look for sticks and mud. You're following me now? That you changed his status does not mean you changed his nature. So sonship, that change at the point of sonship, is positional in the sense that you were a street kid often, now you are adopted as and accepted into the beloved. Positional change. Your name changes instantly. Your documentation ceases to bear this and starts to bear that. Benefits accrue to you instantly to a degree on account of the fact that if you are eating from the dumpster on the street, you don't have to eat from the dumpster anymore. But even at that, if I set in front of you three forks and three spoons and three knives, you have no idea what to do with it. So a kid who has been adopted and whose status has been changed, the only instancy in that change is positional. And if you're not well taught, or if you are stuck in a pride that comes with a feel of knowledge, there's a feeling that you know that gets you stuck in the rut of pride. You sit on that teaching like this, you can't be taught. When you're stuck there, you don't realize. And therefore, you start to justify your position. And you don't understand that your position is not yet your vitality. You run around feeling like you're mature in the faith. You know all these things. You are saved. You understand you're in Christ's realities. It's your position, sir. And nobody's dragging your position with you. But you ought to understand that it must go from being positional to being vital. Being active. Being what we can see. Touch, taste, handle. What we can profit by. You can get puffed up in your position. Your position does nothing for anybody else. Nothing. And this is why people will look from the outside in and look at you on your message of grace and ridicule you. Because even you have no understanding of the workings, of the dynamics of the grace of God. Even you, new creation believer, new, new testament reformer. That's why you see somebody who says they are teaching the truth of the gospel, arguing and cursing somebody out online. That's why you are arguing with somebody and you get offended when you don't take your point of view. Because you understand it positionally. It hasn't translated into vitally. The journey of the believer once you enter sonship is a journey from position to vitality. It's the same thing with your eternal life. Do you have eternal life? 
Do you have eternal life? Are you using eternal life now? Because if you're using eternal life now, you'll not die in the body. But your physical body cannot handle eternal life. Because Jesus said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. So for you to enter the fullness of eternal life, this mortal body must be shed. Does that make sense? We sow mortality. We sow corruption, Paul says, to reap incorruption. So you will not begin to enter eternal life until you drop the hindrance to eternal life. Mortality. So what is eternal life for you? Positionally. Out of your position, right now you can experience some vitality to the degree of your awareness of your position. That's how I know that I'm going to live forever. That's how I know that I am going to live in and as the kingdom of God that causes me to start being the kingdom now. I will not be the totality of the kingdom because flesh and blood cannot handle the fullness of the kingdom. But here and now, your kingdom shall reign. Here and now. So don't get caught up in your positionally and forget that it is a journey to vitally. You understand what I'm saying? So when we say change of nature, sonship is a change of nature. That's what I meant. It's not a change of nature as it were. Do you understand the statement now? It is an introduction into the process that changes your nature. Your nature does not change the day you got born again. What changed was your awareness of what your true nature is. And what your new nature should be. And the journey begins. That's why somebody who was a smoker will get born again and will smoke. And is born again. The altar call doesn't change your nature. But your old nature is dead. Now it has to die. Your old nature is dead. Now it's time to kill it. Why will Paul say to the beneficiaries for that you put off concerning your former conduct? Put off your old man and put on. You are in Christ. It's telling you put on Christ. Put off your former conduct. Put on. I thought you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. What are you putting off and what are you putting on? Because what is dead now has to die. This is why believers are struggling and are still succumbing to morality and its standards and its challenges and scruples because we don't understand that there is a journey from what I've become to what I ought to become. It's a journey. It's a transformation journey. It's not a call to acceptance, settlement, as you are. Ah, now I'm in Christ, I can smoke all I want. Because now I'm in Christ, I'm on a journey to the day that I cannot smoke to save my life, even if I try. That's why it is very wrong to tell a believer, you are saved, stop smoking. Nobody has the power to say it. Nobody has the power to bring it to pass. Can I say something very controversial? Very provocative. No believer stopped smoking because a papa prayed for him. I've dealt with masturbation and homosexuality and addictions many times. I've never dealt with any of them by prayer. I've never held anybody's hand and said, come let me agree with you. Thou spirit. It's not a spirit. Paul never called it a spirit. What's deliverance case? Nobody stopped it by prayer. They either stopped it by happenstance 
or they stopped it by evolution. Happenstance in the sense that an unbeliever can just wake up one day and determine, I've smoked enough and stopped. And it was not God in that sense. He just went, you know what, I think I want to live a healthier life. This smoking to know the health. Happenstance. So he just stops smoking. Stops drinking. Happenstance. So an unbeliever can stop like that. Can I shock you? A believer can also stop like that. Because it cannot be a power that an unbeliever has that a believer does not have. A believer can also wake up and decide to just stop. And not necessarily be using grace to stop. Because if an unbeliever can stop something without grace, even me as a believer can stop it without grace. Or I can stop it with grace. Grace that shows up and manifests in evolution, in growth. Not in miracle. You understand? Not in, oh, let me lay hands on you. A believer will kill a vice by evolution. What do I mean by evolution? By conscious awareness of who I have become. And the glaring inconsistency of who I have become with this nonsense I'm doing. That's why you must see. You must open yourself to see and admit your weakness. You must. It is godly. You must reign into. You must stare into what you are struggling with. You cannot continue to justify it. You will never break that vice. You will not even accept that it's a vice. I can't be stubborn. If I'm stubborn, I will know. You can't be proud. I'm proud. Me, proud. I would have known. That's how you already know that you are proud. Because it's pride that informs you that you will know you are proud when you become proud. That's pride. The feeling that when you are proud, you will know. is pride. On steroids. If I'm misbehaving, no, no. If I'm misbehaving, no. Have the Spirit of God. Then stay in your house. Don't come to church. You and the Spirit of God stay at home. Stay away from the world. Don't engage with anybody because it's you and the Spirit of God. It's hypocritical to claim it's you and the Spirit of God and want to engage with other people, especially in dimensions that favor you. Let the Holy Spirit feed you. Let the Holy Spirit pay your school fees. Let the Holy Spirit bring your house rent. Drop it in your house. Let the Holy Spirit give you companionship and relationship. Let the Holy Spirit cook your food. Let the Holy Spirit shop for you. Just stay with the Holy Spirit. He's enough for you. Don't be so deluded as a believer. And don't allow people who have no working of the vitality of the faith lead you astray. This thing is practical. It's not an abstract. Your two feet are on the ground as you manifest sonship. It's not an abstract. It's not just an idea hanging somewhere. It's a culture. Unfortunately, people cannot transmit it well because they have never lived by it in totality. So they can't even teach it to you because they don't know it. They don't live by it. It's me and God. It's me and God. Stay with God. Why are you posting your matter on WhatsApp status if it's you and God? Is it God you're looking for on WhatsApp status? Send God a message. Wait for him to view it. Wait for the two blue ticks. After all, it's you and God. You don't need anybody. This race is by head per head. The personal race. It's me and God. If you don't want to handle me, just leave me. I'm a son of God. Then go and stay in the house of God. Move into his house because you, you, don't, you are too good for us. Too lofty for us. We are, we are not worthy of you. We're profound in your divinity. Confused in your delusion. This is why people are struggling with the, the particulars of the gospel. 
It is plenty in our mouth. It's not present in our action. Plenty in our mouth. Everybody can teach the gospel now. Everybody, anywhere. It's a gospel speaker, gospel teacher, gospel preacher. What is the life of the gospel? It's missing. Because we don't understand that what he calls you into is not the end. What he calls you into is the beginning of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. That's why I keep telling you the gospel is doesn't, it doesn't need balancing. The gospel is balanced. It's a full gospel. You either have grasp of it or you don't. It's immature people that are struggling with it. And as Peter said, perversing the word of God. Handle it unjustly. It's a beginning of a journey into your new nature. Total change of nature. Total. Total. Total change of nature. You can't fight it and become it. You can't. It's not possible. You can't fight it and become it. Because like I said earlier, fighting change is fighting God's will, God's eternal will for you in Christ Jesus. You can't fight it and become it. First Peter 1 and 14. First Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lost. Somebody say former lost. As in your ignorance. In other words, as you used to do when you didn't know any better. Not conforming yourselves to the former lost as in your ignorance. As he who has called you is holy, Agios. You also be holy in all your conduct. And in the Greek, this is just as God, Theo, is holy, Agios. You holy. There's no you be holy. As God equals holy, so you equals holy. So holiness is not a becoming for the believer. Holiness, and I've not gotten there yet, is a consciousness for the believer. Agios in the Greek. Kadosh in the Hebrew. Meaning the same thing. Separated from. Separated unto. Kadosh. To be separated from. To be sanctified. That's the same word. Hagios from Agios. Sanctified, the same word from which you get saint. Holy. Holiness is not by doing. It's not by becoming. It's by consciousness. When God told Moses, these things in the tabernacle are to be holy. What did the things in the tabernacle do to become holy? What did the lampstand do to become holy? What did the present lover do to become holy? What did the ark of covenant do to become holy? What happened to it that made it holy? Designation. It was called holy and therefore it became holy. You are, 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. To those in Rome, called saints holy. By calling. Not by performing. So unto the believer, what is holiness? A consciousness of your state of being. A consciousness that, see, I have been set apart unto good works. I cannot do nonsense. That's holiness. Not, let me stop doing nonsense so that I can be set apart. That's dead works. Do you, you get it? That's dead works. That's why we're not working worthy for our calling. We're working worthy of the calling. Ephesians 4.1. So holiness is actually a consciousness. 
It's a state of being. Not a performance. It's how God reckons you. So, as he is holy, so you are holy. 15. And you understand why in the next verse. First Peter 1, 15. So you now, holy in all your conduct. Do you get it now? As God is holy, so are you holy. And therefore, let that be shown in your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And when this was written, it was in the Old Testament. When God said, be holy, was he telling you what to be or what he will make you be? You see, when God cut a covenant with Abraham, God told Abraham something that some of us miss in Genesis. He says to him, he says, I'm cutting this covenant with you and you will keep my covenant. Genesis 17. I wish you understood the importance of that statement. He's not saying we are about to enter a covenant. I, I intend for you to keep yours. I hope you will keep your part of the bargain. No, no. God was actually informing Abraham that Abraham will keep the covenant. He was not saying, will you keep the covenant? If you don't see that, you will not appreciate the dynamics of some of the things that God did in Christ. God did not ask Abraham whether he can do it or not. God cut the covenant alone while Abraham was asleep. Then woke Abraham up and told you, I'm entering the covenant with you, you will keep it. Why was God that emphatic? Because it's God that was going to ensure that Abraham kept it. So when God said to Israel, be holy, what was Israel's mistake? They tried to be holy. But when God was telling Israel, be holy, what was he telling? I am calling you holy. Holiness is loading because me, I'm holy. Holiness is coming. You will be holy because I am holy. We cannot relate outside the parameter of holiness. So I'm going to ensure, you see, you see holiness, you see holiness, you will be holy. So when he said be holy, what did he breathe upon them? Shh. Who did he breathe upon them? But because it was types and shadows, they had to go through what they had to go through. They had to go through literal cats and dogs. So when God is saying, as God is holy, you are holy. What is he telling you? He said, I'm telling you this in fulfillment of what I prophesied that time. That you will be holy because I am holy. So now that you are holy as I am holy. Let that holiness show in your conduct. In other words, this is that holiness I was talking that time. When I said be holy. Now that you are holy in all your conduct. Let them see that God has moved into man. First Peter 1 and 16. Put 16 back up. Activity 14 through 16. As God's obedient children. Never again shape your lives. By the desires that you followed when you didn't know better. When you didn't know better. There was how you acted. And the only reason you acted that way was because you didn't know better. Now that you know better, what justification do you have to act the same way? So you see what I mean by sonship is not validation of who you were. It's a calling to transformation to who you ought to be. And what's the difference between who you were and who you are and who you ought to be? Knowledge. Instead, Shape your lives. So tell your neighbor, shape your lives. So become like the Holy One who called you. You get it? So let your lives be a deliberate reflection of your holiness, which is a result of your holy God. You guys getting this? Verse 16. 16. For scripture says you are to be holy because I am holy. So you put away your former conduct. 
God does not put away your former conduct. Did you hear me? God does not put away your former conduct. God does not stop a man smoking. Men stop smoking. He's giving you the tools. He's giving you sunshine. He's giving you the power of transformation. Now you, you have the power to become who he has designed that you become. You, you have it. And until you are conscious of that, you will not grow. Most of your struggle is that you have always thought that in Christ's reality is a final bustle. And there's many of us, especially those of us who have been in this New Testament thing for a long time, there's many of us that are as warped and as messed up as we are because we put a finality in what was a process. Do you understand what I'm saying? You put a finality in what was a process. Once you are saved. Have you noticed how people are, can be so saved and so conscious of who they are in Christ and so obnoxious, so pompous, so self-conceited on account of righteousness? That's such a paradox. But most people going around forming New Testament, new creation, are so obnoxious and so full of themselves because they have no idea that it's something you are that you need to become. It is something you are that you need to become. O Son of God, O Holy One, O Righteous One, O Justified Sister, concerning conduct, you have to become. The blood didn't change your conduct. Because your conduct is rooted in your mind. Think about it for a few seconds. Oh, I'm not trying to take away from the power of the blood. You know that. But by saying that conduct is a mind thing and what the cross dealt with was your dead spirit. Then now you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So where is your conduct? Whose business is that? Sonship is transformation of who you are more than it is validation of who you are. It's transformation of who you are more than it is validation of who you are. I want to look at that word for a minute. Transformation. Metamorphomo. From which you get the word metamorphosis. The Greek word metamorphomo. That's the word transform. You see it appearing in, in popularly. It only appears like four times in the New Testament. But you see it appearing popularly in Romans 12 and 2, right? Be transformed, right? By the renewing of your mind. But you know the word metamorphomo, first of all, it's a, it's a compound word in the Greek. It's a, it's a marriage of two words, meta and morphou. Okay? Meta is change in Greek. Yeah? But it is change that is consistent with original nature, hence metamorphosis. So everything that that insect is becoming was embedded in the insect from its DNA. Do you understand? It's, it's not the, the caterpillar evolving from a cockroach. Do you understand? Everything that the caterpillar has that ends up being that butterfly, which is essentially, if you look at it, a flying caterpillar. Everything that final product became was embedded in it through all the processes of change. Are you following me now? So meta is actually change that is consistent with what it has always been. Is that you are son of God. Now, bring out son of God. In this lava, 
bring pupa out. Lava becomes pupa. In this pupa, there's a caterpillar. Bring it out. Caterpillar comes. In this caterpillar, there's a butterfly. Bring it out. Now this butterfly did not come out of the caterpillar. This butterfly came out of the lava. In fact, from the egg. So that's meta. Meta is change that is consistent with your nature. So now that you are son of God, you are a butterfly that needs to be a butterfly. The problem with you is if you now get up and start to want to fly and show colors you have not met at. You now get up. You hear that in there is a king in you. <laughs> you now get up and say, ah, I'm a butterfly. I'm that mountain pickup. No, sir. Butterfly at lava stage is butterfly positionally. Subject to change. Meta is to change as is consistent with your nature. In other words, we don't, it's, just, it's not a cockroach egg that ends up a butterfly. That's not metamorphosis. That's not metamorphosis. That's not transformation. Transformation is, we say you are this, it's inside of you is this thing. Now start to evolve, to become it. Are you following me now? Morpho is then to be transfigured. So, meta is to change step by step in keeping with who you are. Morpho is to be transfigured such that at the end you don't look like where you came from. Hence the English word morph. It comes from the word morpho in the Greek, which means to be transfigured such that you no longer look like where you came from. So the butterfly came from the lava, but last, last, the butterfly doesn't look like the lava. So by the end of the product, it doesn't quite look like where it came from. Put those two words together, you get metamorpho, which means to change in keeping with your nature and to be transfigured such that you don't look like where you came from. You know the interesting thing about this word? It is the word that was used on the Mount of Transfiguration. In fact, transfiguration is metamorpho. So when Jesus was transfigured, the actual rending is Jesus was transformed. So what they saw was Son of God becoming Son of God. Don't, don't forget, these so were the guys that went and told others, we have seen him of who the scriptures spoke. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But they believed in Jesus as the Christ positionally. They hadn't seen anything unusual about Jesus. Besides miracles that other prophets did. Are you here today? Jesus healed, brought somebody back to life. Uh -huh, Elijah did it, Elijah did it. What are you saying? Turn water to wine. Moses turned the whole water in Egypt to blood. What are you saying? So if you're looking at miracles, Jesus was learning walks. The miracles Jesus did versus the miracles those old boys did. Have you read what happened in the Old Testament? They are digging. Axe head follows off and enters the water. Elisha said, where? He said, here. He caught a stick and dropped in it. And he didn't say the axe head floated. He said, it swam. Metal. Ah, water was bitter. He said, bring small salt. Drop it in there. Ah, ah, has bitter become sweet? Mara. What are you saying? Have you seen miracles that happen in the Old Testament? Mad things. Elijah said, except at my word, not at the word of God. 
Except at my word, there will be no rain. And just in case you don't even do, until I say so, heaven shut off. Joshua stands because we are fighting war and says, Stone, stand still. Moon, where you are planning to come, you to stay there till I finish. Giving you leap here. Moon, stay where you are, don't load. Until I'm done with this war. People are blowing trumpets and walls that can take six chariots. In Jericho, people didn't live on walls. They lived in walls. The walls of Jericho were thick. The Rahab's house was in the wall. Six chariots, not six horses. Six chariots ran side by side on the wall of Jericho. And they blasted trumpets once, not seven times. They went around that place twelve times quietly. Once each day for six days. On the seventh day, six times, quietly, the seventh time, blow the trumpet. Go back and read it again. So it wasn't like they went round seven times. Parara, 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 parara. One, parara, parara. No, 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 no. On the seventh day, they went round six times. On the seventh time, they blew, they blew the trumpet once. Because if they had blown the trumpet twice, it would have changed the nature of God. The trumpet is the heralding of the time, the eon of God, the now of God. Yes. That's what the trumpets heralded. Yes. That's what the significance of the trumpet that will sound is heralding. The now. You cannot blow it twice. Yes, Come blow it twice. Go around six times. On the sixth day, six times. The seventh time, then blow the horn. And they slammed Ram's horn. And Jericho's walls did not fall. They crumbled. They crumbled. These guys ran into the city, overran it. They come and say, Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus, see that for Jesus. Come and learn miracles. That's why I told you in this house, Jesus went around doing good, was not healing the sick. There was nothing unusual about the miracles of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. As surely as the Lord lives, this time next year, you shall have a child. You must say, I didn't ask you for child. Elisha said, just because. So you build me room. She looked around. There was, was actually the servant that gossiped on her to Elisha. I said, I looked around. There's no sign of a cry of a baby in this house. As surely as the Lord lives next year. She gave birth to the child. The child grew and died. Elisha came back, stretched over the child, brought the child back to life. His bones brought a dead boy back to life when he died. Jesus is not Lord because he did miracles. Miracles are not the validation of ministry. No, no, no. Miracles are not the validation of ministry. So Jesus is there. And he's doing miracles. And, and the, the, them guys are looking at him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Messiah, yeah, he's one that will come. But they're not tripping for miracles. But they knew he was the son of God. From the volume of the books. Until Jesus was transformed. Before their eyes. So what was the transformation of Jesus? Transfiguration of Jesus. Was Jesus showing them who he was. Even though he had showed them who he was. Son of God. But you are flesh. You are Joseph's son. You understand what I'm saying? You are the carpenter from Nazareth. Until we see you in your glory. With Moses and Elijah paying allegiance to you. We come down and we go, guys, 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 guys. You don't know who we saw today. Can you imagine the conversation? 
Esta es una canción de idiotas. Sí, 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 sí. Yo no lo vi. Si es un miracle, no lo vi. Porque solo se vio tres tens. Y no se contaron a ellos dentro. No se contaron a ellos dentro de tres tens. Si es un miracle, no se vio. Porque mi, Lai Lai, no se vio. Si no, el Master G, se vio. ¿Qué vieron? La transformación de Jesús contenida en Jesús. It's not when you, you don't hear it rendered that the glory that came upon Jesus came from heaven. You only hear that a voice came from heaven. God spoke from heaven. Glory did not come from heaven. Jesus was glorified before their very eyes. A glory. What did Jesus tell them when he prayed in John 17? Glorify me now with the glory I have had with you since the world began. So the glory that Jesus manifested on the Mount of Transfiguration, where did the glory come from? From within. Because all through Jesus in the earth, he was glory under control. He was not a gloryless man. A gloryless man would not say, do you think I cannot call my father and he will send 12 legions of angels? He was glory under control. His divinity humbling himself to have a natural experience. So, as occasion demanded, he showed them divinity from within his humanity. Transformation. That was the word metamorphomo. That's the same word used of Jesus. It's the same word Paul uses to say you transform. So it is not the electric generators. It is not the machines in the movie franchise. It is the son of God. That is the bona fide transformer. That's why I love the movie franchise transformers. I love it. I love how the guy just goes from just this regular yellow car. And then you see all kinds of things that if you looked at this car, you couldn't have come from this car or that truck or that truck. But it was contained in the truck. <laughs> you, you see a vehicle, maybe about seven feet wide long, become a skyscraper in height and once it's done falls right back into a car because contained in it is the ability to transform meta morpho by the time you look at that guy he doesn't look like that small yellow car that was down there by the time that beetle starts to race remember that beetle by the time that beetle starts to race, do you not realize that a beetle could have that much horsepower in it? So Jesus transformed before their eyes and showed them what he could be inside who he was. Finished, folded right back down. Say, Come on guys, shake it off. Come off it. Come on, let's go downstairs. Others are waiting for us. Comes right back. Now your journey, because Jesus did that as a token, he couldn't stay there because his job wasn't done. He's there now. Does that make sense? God highly exalted Jesus. He's there now. Now your, it behoves you, your lot is to become so that you can stay where you are. Become who you are so you can stay as you are. Where you are. Does that make sense? In other words, you are not transforming to return to your former state. You are transforming now to perpetuate 
the state you will become. Does that make sense? You're transforming to perpetuate who you will become. You're growing in maturity to never be immature again. Yes, <laughs> yes. Do you understand it now? Yes, You're growing in discernment to never be random again. Yes, yes, so that at the end of the day, you have morphed. So if you look at this, it turns out that the word transform is one of the most powerful words in the New Testament. So when Paul says you, be transformed, my God, even you should not be able to recognize yourself. And if that is how profound the calling is, you cannot be found saying, this is who I am, leave me. Hey, you wake up every morning flexing your transformation. Every day in every sphere of your life, you are going there as that little car to transform and happen to life. Transformation becomes the glory of the believer, not the curse of the believer. A believer who understands who is meant to be enjoys growing. You will stop fighting growing. You stop. You stop fighting growing. You stop fighting growth. Oh, you will begin to stare into it. Anything that will cause me to grow, bring it on! I am being transformed. I'm changing in line with my nature. That when I finish changing, I will not look like where I came from. That's growth consciousness. You will begin to enjoy growth. Have you seen how good growth looks on you, baby? Growth looks amazing on you. Nothing beautifies a son of God like growth. Nothing! And nothing makes you more repugnant than stagnation. Because everybody's there. And you are there looking. And everybody's transforming. You see those vehicles in the line. Everyone's transforming and, do, and you are just there. You're like, what kind of wall is this? But inside you is the capacity. That's the painful thing. Inside you is everything loaded for you to transform, transfigure, and shock everybody, including yourself. Oh, but no, why should I bother now? There's nine of them already that have transformed. Let eh, them do the heavy lifting. I'll drive up behind. Like those, those military films you watch where they're there in the battlefield and everyone shooting and there's one timid one who is there with his gun. You know? And the bullets are hitting him in his mind more than they're hitting people in the flesh. So like, no, 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 let, them, let them do it. Let everybody transform. Let everybody else be better. If 19 of them are okay and they're growing the church, they don't need my input to be for the church to be strong. Become the unprofitable servant. Because embedded in you is the power to transform beyond your wildest imagination. You like this, you, 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 you like that. It is embedded in you. It is not a prayer point. It's hardwired into your DNA to be starkly different. Starkly! It's not the lot of a believer to say, this is who I am. Oh, my heart bleeds for the church of God, universal, and how we have settled for way, 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 way less than the mind of the Father. 
in the name of playing new creation. I'm not addressing religion now. No, no, no. I'm addressing you. You, you, you. New creation. Worldwide. Reformation. Worldwide. In Christ's realities. Worldwide. We're the most complacent people on the earth. The most powered, but the most complacent. Because you don't want to bother yourself. You don't. It's a simple, simple way out. Easy way out. Nigerian way out. Nobody wants to stretch themselves. Nobody. Instant application. Instant. That's, that's growth. But you do everything to justify how bad it is. Oh, the country is bad. When it gets better. You say, when it's better, I will give. When things are better, I will be no loving. When things will only be better when you die. So just do and quick. Give us chance. No, things will not be better. It's us that will be better. Thick darkness shall cover the earth. Gross darkness, the people. Then Goshen manifests in Egypt. Things will get better. Then I will be better. No. There's no such thing. Embedded in you is the power to transform. Now. Now. If it pricks you in your spirit, you are the one that needs the message. Are you saying all I'm doing in the Lord? I'm not going, yes! If you're asking it, I'm saying it. As we're growing, you'll not be asking it. It's canal to ask it. So you're saying all this thing I've been doing now. I'm, I'm, I'm not growing. You have just shown. I've served you all these years. I've worked with you faithfully. Said I'm not growing. You have said it. Because every son of God has the power to transfigure. Every son of God. Change is the ability in the believer. Do you understand what I'm saying? The ability in the believer. That's why a key element of kingdom advancement is growth. Growth in the church is not in longevity. It's not in longevity. It's not in how long. Growth in the church, in the Lord, is in deliberate application and productivity. You never see length of time being used as a measuring yardstick. In spiritual maturity or growth. No. How long you've been around doesn't matter. Until it matters. Because you see, when you have mattered, and then you are now here long enough, your length then matters. Do you understand? How long you have been around doesn't matter until it matters. Growth is not in longevity. It's in deliberate application and Productivity. In other words, somebody can walk right in and give him a few weeks. He has understood the power of transformation he has and transfigures. And you'll be going, ah, this person met me here. Oh, keep watching. Don't blink. Watch somebody walks right in and transform. Because you don't get transformation by service. Does happen by service. I'm serving. I'm a worker in the fire of the Lord. No, sir. 
by deliberate application and productivity. Somebody can walk right in and step up to what is theirs. And you have been there for a long time and thinking that proximity by time versus distance equals transformation. Delusion. Proximity plus time versus distance. You know, find R. Equals transformation. You lie. Somebody walks in, hears one message and they totally become a different person. And you can sit there and say, I've been here a long time. It's not a function of how long. It's not a function of how long. It's deliberate application. Deliberate application. Productivity. Somebody just walks up to Jesus. Never heard him preach. Never. Never heard him preach. Never saw him walk any miracle. Walks up to him and says, my servant is sick. He says, I'll come and heal him. He said, no, sir, you can't do that. Don't try that, Jesus. <laughs> I know you. I know how this thing works. A man of authority under authority. I said to one, go, he goes. I said to one, come, he comes. So I, I understand that you can say a word. Just say anything. My servant will be healed. This guy was not born again. He was not a Jew. He was a Roman. The oppressors of Israel at the time. He was a Roman soldier. Centurion is a soldier over a hundred. Known as an infantry in Nigerian in military language or parlance. Centurion is one over a hundred. Hence century. So Centurion is a military officer over a hundred soldiers. He says, no, no, just speak any, any, just say anything. It doesn't matter what you're saying. Just say it. I want to be here. And Jesus says, I've not found so much faith in all Israel. Meanwhile, Jairus' daughter was sick. And Jesus asked his manner was, this isn't coming. Jesus was always coming. Always going. Except when he said of Lazarus, he's sleeping. So he starts to go to Jairus' house, who was a senator in the time, the equivalent of a senator. On his way there, a woman with an issue of blood said, this one, I don't even need him to pray for me. I don't need him to know me. Are you still here? If I can just touch the hem. The hem is not a dress. The, the, the Israeli rabbis wore a cloak, a caliph, at the end of which are loose thread, frocks that hang down like wool. That's a hem. In, not a hem in your language of turning this thing inside out. That's not a Jewish helm. A Jewish helm is the loose wool that hangs off of the robe of a rabbi. Does that make sense? So it's just that loose thing that hangs in frocks that hang down. And so she went, if I can just touch the frock, that thread that hangs on his garment, just touch it because it's connected to him, I will be healed. Jesus never said, can you take my thing as a point of contact? Peter and Paul and the apostles never ever advertised anything from them as point of contact. What the church has magnified into idolatry today. Man too. No, stuff happened, but the apostles never projected those things as anything. She said, if I can just touch, I'll be made whole. People are pressing onto Jesus and she touches and instantly the issue of blood dried up. Instantly. She didn't even use the name of Jesus. Instantly, he dried up. And Jesus said, hey, 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 someone touched me. Ah, Uncle Peter, 
You see, this is how you used to talk these things, Master Jesus, that I don't used to like. We are inside crusade, moving. All of us are pressing each other. You are saying, who touched you? All of us touched you. It's not touch like this, push like this. All of us are touching you. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh. I perceived, he said, virtue went out of me. So plenty people touched. One person drew virtue. So countless others touched arbitrarily. They touched randomly. They touched with no expectation. They just... One person drew and left. As she drew, Jairus' daughter died. Same moment. Jesus was going to heal a sick girl. He wasn't going to raise a dead girl. Remember? Jairus' daughter was sick, not dead. On his way to heal her of sickness, somebody pulled. You know how you turn on that grinding machine? Those days there used to be on electricity. Those corn machines in your area, all the light would just go down. Oh, now who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. Once they own the thing like that, it would draw the whole power in your area. That's what happened when, when she touched. Can you imagine just that little touch? And it drained Jesus. And they came and sent to Jesus and said, Sir, the child you were going to heal of sickness is dead. Don't bother coming. You remember the story? He said, Don't bother, she's dead now. And of course, he went and brought her back to life. But people were thronging Jesus. Somebody drew virtue. So it's not in how long you have been with Jesus. Because the same people that said, people are touching you. Everybody's touching you. This is the same people that said, we left out to follow you. We left out to follow, but we're not drawing virtue. They left wives, left businesses, left children, left, left possessions to follow. And they were touching, lying, and sleeping, and waking with Jesus. John used to be on the bosom of Jesus. Imagine putting your chest, your head on the chest of Jesus every time Jesus is talking in public. And a strange woman passes and draws virtue, draws efficacy in a place where familiarity was rife. In a place where familiarity was breeding, she comes and draws virtue. So, sir, transformation is not in longevity. It's not in how long you have been around. Sometimes your problem is how long you have been around. How long you have been around is your undoing. Do you know how long? We're there when things started. You don't look like it, sir. You don't look like it. You don't look like it. We're there. Sometimes how long you have been around is a problem. Sometimes that is your only problem. I've been around too long. I've been around too long. Frolicking around and not drawing virtue. Transformation is not in longevity. Growth is not in longevity. It's in deliberate application. If I'm a teacher, just, just touch. It's not me to take the food of the children and give to dogs. She said to Jesus, I agree. I'm a dog. Dogs don't, their masters don't lead them to start. They can eat what falls on the master's table. You see, I don't even, I'm not even wanting the children's bread. The crumbs for dogs will hear my child. And Jesus went, I have never heard such faith in Israel. Now somebody who, we say, I agree. Oh, oh, sorry, sir. It's because I didn't tell you that. I was not expecting much. No, because if I told you that I'm not wanting what you came to give Israel, maybe you not have even had any cause to call me a dog. 
So let me just explain. Yes, I, I agree. I'm a dog. I'm a Gentile. That's what dogs mean. Not physical insult. Yeah, because in Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul then tells them, beware of dogs. Not physical dogs. Yes, the Bible says beware of dogs. I don't like dogs. <laughs> no. Paul says beware of dogs. Beware of the mutilation. Referring to the law. You follow me now? Uh-huh. Referring to religion. Referring to the heathen. Or paganism. You follow me now? So, when it says, it's not fit to carry the meat of the children and give to dogs, to the heathen. To the outcast. To the reject. She said, oh yes, I know now. I don't need you to tell me that I'm, a, I'm an outcast. I didn't come because I was an incast. Yeah, but whatever is for the incast, if he falls to the ground, he can help the outcast. Yes, even the crumbs. So now I always tell believers, the scripture says to you, Son of God, this is by the way, deviation, that healing, sir, God, is the bread of the children. Excuse me, crumbs are healing unbelievers. You have bread. And you are successfully sick. Repent. Bread. Healing is the bread of the children. Bread. That is the staple diet. Because bread was not just food. Bread was the staple diet, the sustenance method for Israel. Like the Lebanese. Lebanese. With them are bread. It's five and six. The Gambians arise. Healing is the staple diet of the believer. Crumbs were chasing demons. Chasing unclean spirits out of people who were oppressed of the devil. You have bread, sir. Please don't put us to shame. As I said, that was a division. But somebody needed to hear that. Bread. Crumbs for healing unbelievers. Healing. It's not in longevity. Sometimes you hope how long you've been around is the problem. Deliberate application. Somebody will take the word and say, the Lord has spoken. Done. Take the word and say, my pastor has spoken. Done. A pastor is a shepherd. Because a shepherd is a pastor. One who cares for the sheep. Not one who preaches to the sheep. That's why he's a pastor teacher. Do you understand what I'm saying? A pastor is not one who preaches to the sheep. He's one who cares for the sheep as God's representative. Why haven't you called anybody that taught you in secondary school and university your mentor? When it was time for you to choose mentor, why didn't you go to your secondary school teacher or university lecturer? You didn't look that way. But they taught you, they taught you faithfully. So you see that I'm your teacher, doesn't mean I'm your pastor. Pastors are carers, overseers. A huge chunk of what God will do in your life in the local church will come through the shepherd he put over you. That's why Paul had the alacrity to shepherd the churches in the letters the way he did. You tell them that you have many instructors, you don't have many fathers. Tell them it's not the Lord speaking, it's I Paul, but I Paul speaks with the Spirit of the Lord. So somebody else will listen to a word and run with it and get results. Somebody else will sit because you become familiar. Who touched me? Virtue left me. Growth is not in how long 
is in deliberate application and productivity. First Timothy four thirteen. First Timothy four thirteen to fifteen. Paul tells Timothy to like come, give attention to reading. Till I come, give attention to reading Paul tells Timothy to exhortation to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Here, Paul, New Testament, new creation in Christ. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Put it to pity. Don't minimize the powerful gift that operates in your life, for it was imparted to you by the laying on of hands of the elders and was activated through the prophecy they. they. So see, if anybody is not teaching the full counsel of God, you have every right to suspect and ignore them. This is the counsel of God. As was imparted to you by the laying on of hands of the elders and was activated through the prophecy he spoke over you. Make all of this your constant meditation and make it real with your life so everyone can see that you're moving forward. Or in the New King James, that your progress may be evident or appear to all. That your profiting might appear to you. So take heed to them. Pay attention to them. Put them to practice. Your progress will be evident to all. Your profiting will be evident to all. Don't do it. No evident progress. Does that make sense? So somebody can come in and just latch onto a word and run with it. And whoop, they're transformed. Somebody else can come in and familiarize themselves with what should grow them and therefore stunt themselves. If you're comfortable with where you are, you are mediocre. In every area of your life. I didn't say if you're content. There's a difference. I said if you're comfortable with where you are. That I'm content with where I am does not mean I'm comfortable with it. But there's more, there's more. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things. I'm pressing forward for the mark of the prize of higher calling, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm forgetting the things that are, that are behind. I'm pressing towards to what is ahead. I'm counting the things that, that I had as dung for the excellency of the gospel. But I'm content and I'm grateful in all things. But it's better. Better is never behind. So if you go, you know, I'm okay with where I am in God. You are mediocre. You don't expect any result beyond where you are. Sons of God grow. Tell your neighbor, sons of God grow. In resistance to growth, a believer becomes stunted, stuck in who they've always been. Someone who says, This is who I am, 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 is somebody who is stunted. As a result of opposing growth, a stunted believer is therefore frustrated. Annoying, restless, and disruptive. Hallmarks of a stunted believer. Frustrated, annoying, restless, and therefore disruptive. Check church. Look at these hallmarks. You know if you and your brother are growing. Stunted believer, one who is not growing, one who has resisted growth. Check somebody who is resisting growth. They are frustrated. And they look at people who are growing and they're upset at their growth. And then they become annoying. Because whatever you do, it just treats them the wrong way. Then they're restless. They're not settled because they have no security. You now become restless. Now once you're restless, you become disruptive. Because nothing is just good enough anymore. 
you will jump into mercy. Stop the believer. Frustrated, annoying, restless, and disruptive. Frustrated, annoying, restless, disruptive. That's someone who's not growing. Does that make sense? Now, it would be unreasonable to get angry at, at Alex for what he's doing. Like it was said of Samson, he wished not in James. What is those? Does that make sense? It is not, it's not practically possible to respect this kid. To sit down and know that what he's doing is disruptive. There's no harm in his mind. No injury in his mind. No destruction in his mind. No sabotage in his mind. He's just a free spirit going everywhere. He's restless. He's disruptive. He's frustrated. And he's almost annoying. In the next 30 minutes, he will annoy somebody. But you see the beautiful thing about it, and that's why I can keep teaching. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Why? He's a child. That's where he is in his evolution. Does that make sense? Where's, where's, where's Shalom? Shalom is seven, right? If Shalom now starts running around doing Alex, I will remove my shoe. I will use her beats and tie the shoe around. Now, if it will affect you that much, why do you do that spiritually? Don't mind him, he's a child. It's the same thing we say of you, which are a pastor, and you are disruptive in the body of Christ. Restless, annoying, tripping over yourself and constantly just being crazy. You're showing you are a child. And we will start to treat you as one. It's the hallmark of a stunted believer. Believer who has refused to grow. You grew old without growing up. It's not everybody who has grown old has grown up. Now you are restraining this kid. And as far as the kid is concerned right now, you are the devil. Because he's chopping life. Does that make sense? He's having a time of his life. It's the same way a believer will attack you for pulling them into discipline. I'm enjoying it. It's working for me. I'm not, I'm not out to hurt anybody. I don't actually care about anybody. I'm just enjoying my liberty and enjoying my sonship. And then you get offended when we pull you up. Because you can't even see that you are being disrupted. And the kid does not know that it's affecting anybody right now. Their child. They correct you, you get offended. You switch off for three months until your heart has softened enough. To return to discipleship. My child, no matter how lifted in yourself you think you may be, no matter how high and lofty in your estimation you are, you are a child. My child. So we restrain you. You don't want to be restrained. Why are we holding you back? You're having a time of your life. Allow me. And so you're frustrated. You're more frustrated when we try to straighten you up. You're annoying, restless, but disruptive. You are entitled and you are obese. Entitled, allow me. You are obese, you are growing too puffed up on knowledge. It's a sign of someone who is not growing. Someone who is not conscious. That embedded in you is the power to transform. It's the power to transform. If I carry this boy and start to strap him up on his seat, after six Sundays, that thing he will stop. 
I presented it to me. Stop, you will cry. You see, you wake up, then I'm in the same seat. You cry again, you see. I'm sitting from three years old. By the time I was three, I was cured. Totally cured. You think I learned it just by grace? I can come and stand in church. I mean, when I enter a meeting, I enter till I'm done. I learned obedience. It's been a long time coming. I can enter an all-night meeting. Once I enter the meeting, I'm there till it's done. Right in front, I'm not going anywhere. Because you need to be made aware that inside of you is the capacity to transform. And sir, that capacity is not going to treat you like it is a fan of yours. Growth is not going to treat you like it loves you. I don't know, I'm going to be easy on you because I just love the way you look. I love the way you dress. I love the way that you, I love the way that you say you are saved. This is gratified. Nah, it will stretch you. So the believer is frustrated, annoying, restless, disruptive, entitled, obese, a liability, and a dead weight. Because you see, whatever is planted by God grows. Let me say that together. One more time. If you record a video of this chap, and 16 years later, you let this chap who used to run around in church, he'll tell you, not me. You see, the funny thing about kids like Alex, he will grow up to be this fully aware gentleman, hardly random, you know. The same boy will grow up like that. It is in him. Why would you say with such authority that it is in him? Charlie, look at his father. Because the DNA in that boy, as much as it is looking like his mother, the DNA in that boy is from his father. The genetic material that makes up a child is bequeathed by the father. Are you following me? So the boy will do all the rigmarole that he wants to do. Inside this boy is that man. And when you come and play back this to him, and say, no, do you know, Alex, that when you were young, you used to run around church and cause commotion. Say, no, come on, mom. Come on, dad. I couldn't have done that. Now imagine a 16-year-old 15 years from now. The world would have changed though. Like a 15 year old, 16 years from now, will be so sophisticated. Be so sophisticated. Maybe scrolling holograms or something, you know, and then, and they're like, come, come and see yourself here at one. You'll be like, no, that couldn't have been me. I used to disrupt you. Like, no, because this person in 16 years will not look like this boy. Now, the person in 16 years will not have just happened. It would have been a morphing of this boy in whom was that man. That's transformation. That is the lot of anybody who is the son of God. Anybody planted by God will grow in God. Are you here tonight? So when there's no growth, that's the question I'm leaving you with. Was he planted by God? Can he be planted by God and not grow? So can something in God be attributed as not growing in God? Can something that is not growing have been planted by God? That's the question I'm leaving you with. When there is no growth, was it planted by God? Can something be planted by God and not grow? Can something that is not growing be said to have been planted by God? Let's take you back to DSTV. Growth doesn't just happen. Can we all say that together? Say it again one more time. 
you know, whatever growth is, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't happen because God wills it. Growth doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen because God wills it to happen. It doesn't happen because you desire it to happen. So your desire is not strong enough to make you, make you grow. Oh, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow. It means nothing. God desires for me to grow means nothing. Growth only happens because you become conscious of it. And because as conscious of it as you become, you allow it. Growth will only happen when you become conscious of it and when you, being conscious of it, allow it. Growth only comes by consciousness. It's not accidental. Growth is not accidental. At some point when this boy can understand stuff, he will be called by his prayers and told, stop running around. Does that make sense? When Joel joined our church, you can't even believe that Joel is in church. Joel was worse than Alex, though much older than him. And then I call and say, my friend, go and sit down, don't move from that chair to be close. Do you hear me? He was shocked because Papi is his godly daddy. When he was going past, looked at me with one kind of eye. I don't know if anybody remembers. Around here. Like, Pastor, you fall my hand, man. I thought, I thought it was cool, man. <laughs> you know that kind of feeling? You're feeling something you can't say. And I thought it was cool, man. And he went and sat down. And when he sat down there, it's like he had measles. He was like, hey. But he had me to sit down there, don't move. He received his deliverance. So at some point in your evolution, you will get conscious of the fact that somebody has pulled you up to a higher standard. You'll be conscious of the fact that, hey, more is expected of me. If you resist it, you will stunt. It happens because you are conscious and because you allow it. You see, God puts men over men. You see, God puts men over men. You must be conscious of it. To grow, you must be growth conscious. This growth doesn't happen until you're conscious of it. Until you allow it. First Peter 2 and 2. And I'm done. Woo! Are you there? Hear what Peter says to the churches. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How does Peter put this? Desire the pyramid of the world and you may grow there. In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life. Desire the sincere milk of the world that you may grow thereby. Colossians 1. Colossians 1, I'll just pick from verse 10 and 11, for time's sake. That you may walk, let me have a sensitivity. We pray that you would walk in the way of true righteousness, pleasing God in everything you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to his life, and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. Yielding to his life, and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. Now, I taught earlier, and I think it was in the case I taught how Jesus grew and Jesus matured. 
in the flesh. How the divine one had to have a human experience. And did not assume that I created humanity so I have mastery over humanity. He went through humanity along with all the attendant emotions. The guy lost his temper. Oh, he was a holy temper, holy anger. There's nothing like that. This was best. Do you understand? Best character for people. Don't try and spiritualize it. The verse was a type of calm down. Jesus vexed, flood people out of a temple that will be destroyed. You came to destroy the temple. Calm down. Wait until you destroy it. You found people out of it. Then you came to remove it totally. It's the best. Jesus the man lost his temple. Jesus the man cried. Jesus the man grew. And stopped flogging people. Instead of saying that, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. You flog them for selling markets in the temple. And you forgive them for killing you. And saying they don't know what they are doing. What happened? Sir, the man transfigured. The man, the man, the man grew. Are you following me now? He grew. Because he was like us, right? Hebrews 2.17. was like us. 2.17. Hebrews 2.17. Put it up for some people to see. See He grew in stature. This is why he had to be a man. Can you see that? And take hold of our humanity in every way. He had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. There's no human experience you want to claim that Jesus didn't have. There's no human experience. None. That Jesus did not have. So Jesus grew in his humanity. Remember Luke 2, I think 52. The child Jesus grew in stature. In his nature. He grew. That's what qualified him. Not his calling, his processing. Because the fact that Jesus was called does not mean Jesus could have died. I mean, even in being as conscious as I showed you. Because the will of God is a yielded vessel at the right time. Yielded vessel at the right time. Jesus was called, he came to die, but he could have chosen to not die. One, he could have yielded to die and not been processed to die. Hebrews 4.15. Are <laughs> you there? Okay, no, no, put it, put it, put it up in the TPT. You make it clearer for everybody and make it faster for me. He understands humanity. Somebody say he understands humanity. For as, as a man, as a man, a magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are. Every way. Because you know, I can say something sometimes and go, ah, come on, pal. You've been too far-fetched. Was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. See the next verse, verse 16. See verse 16. So now, we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's case and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in times of weakness. He can advocate for our weakness because he was in our weakness. So we can come boldly knowing that God understands where we're coming from. Jesus went through it and grew in it. The person that was flogging people would not have 
been able to die on the cross. It's a lie. You will not get him on the cross. You will not get him on the cross. You will not put one cane on him. He was the one caning you. One person caned everybody out of Solomon's temple. One person. One person. This carpenter hand. Caned everybody out of the temple twice. Not once. Twice. Once before the triumphant entry, once after. Flogger. Serious canist, headmaster. What were you doing in the temple? Selling change. That's all they were doing. Not selling jacquard and lace. What they were doing was selling forex for exchange. Yeah, so somebody comes, needs to give a penny, has a denarii. You now give it a denarii, now break it and give him change, and then keep one penny for yourself and give him like 97 pennies or let three pennies on the denarii so he can have. Does that make sense? I need to give a total dog. I have a chicken. I bring the chicken, give it to the guys, money changers. He collect the chicken, give me two turtle doves and one penny. Does that make sense? Or I have a small guinea fowl, so I give them the guinea fowl and three pennies and collect two turtle doves to go and sacrifice to God. All, all, the, all the market that was going on in the temple was for God. This was the verse. Do you understand? It's to get stuff to sack everything, all the business in the temple was being fed by the sacrificial demand of the temple. Then he come and flog everybody out. Herod make one noise and say, go and tear that fox. Pharisees blink, brood of vipers. Whitewash tombs. <laughs> Clean outside, dirty inside. First wash your inside, my friend. Then you can talk about washing outside. That doesn't sound like a person that came to die for you. Because at that time, sir, he had not grown enough to die. Are you listening to me? That's not the person you catch I want to crucify. He will show you something. Just the carpenter first. Before the Son of God. Just as carpenter Jesus from Nazareth, you will see something. May he not be with his hammer. His saw and his chisel. <laughs> He's the one that will crucify you. But isn't it interesting that he died by the skill he lived? Quite interesting actually. He died by the very skill that he lived by. Because now he for kill you. Don't forget he didn't want to die. But what happened? Jesus grew. By the time he got to that garden and cried and came out, he came out ready. He says, Who are you looking for? I said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. They all fell down under the anointing. You know that, right? Three times they gathered themselves back up. He said, I said, Who are you looking for? To arrest. They said, Jesus of He said, I told you I am He. They fell again. Just at the revelation of Jesus, they fell out. He waited for them to come round. So, but you are keep you keep slaying yourself under the anointing. Last, last, if it's me, you came to arrest, you have to arrest me. So these soldiers that sent that were sent to arrest Jesus had to put themselves together. Are you with me now? And use the grace of Jesus to arrest him. It was Jesus that transmitted grace to them to arrest him last, last. Because each time he says, I'm Jesus, they pass out under the anointing. So Jesus had to self-subdue 
and transfer ability to them to do the will of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? To enable them arrest him. Imagine they're arresting him and he's healing the ear of the chief priest servant that Peter cut off. That was the Jesus that was ready to die. Having learned humility, Jesus grew in stature, maturity, age, oxano, that's the word. That's why the word of God comes, the sincere milk of the word, for the growing of the believer. For the believer, growth is not optional. Because it's the working of God in you. If God is working in you, you grow. Secondly, it is required for the effectiveness of discipleship and ministry. Discipleship and ministry require growth. Yes? Require growth. That's why growth is important. Listen to me carefully. Everybody else suffers when you don't grow. Hold your neighbor by the hand gently and look at them and tell them, everybody suffers when you don't grow. I suffer when you don't grow. And boy, you are going to suffer if I don't grow. Because it works both ways. Everybody suffers when you don't grow. The Lord showed me this and it humbled me. When I saw it, I wept. Everybody suffers when we don't grow. Do you know that until we enter the day of the Lord, until we enter the day of the Lord, we are going to pay the price for a bunch of people that refuse to grow. The Hebrew believers, the people in Hebrews that Paul was writing to, there's stuff about Melchizedek and Jesus that we will never know until we meet Jesus. Because Hebrews were babies. And when the Lord showed me, it broke my heart. I, I, I saw it differently. I cried in my meditation. Why are we here arguing over Melchizedek? Whom the, the writer of Hebrews had the answer to the mystery. I mean, yes, we can piece one or two things together. But there's a level of explicitness that is missing in the account of Melchizedek that perhaps might not have caused the tight wahala in the first place. There would have been a level of clarity concerning Melchizedek that even in the council of Nicaea, the council of Charles Sidon, the council of Alexandria, there would have been such clarity that you can't even twist this thing if you wanted to try because the writer of Hebrews put paid to the explanation about the connection between Melchizedek and Jesus. Alas! Hebrews 5. Alas, until Jesus comes, we are going to pay the price for some people's lack of growth because everyone suffers when you don't grow. Verse 10. Start from verse 9. And having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God, him, Jesus, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek of whom we have much to say, much, 
and hard to explain. Could this have been one of them things Paul saw in 2 Corinthians 12? Could this have been one of them things he saw in, in the mountains of Arabia? Could this have been one of them things he did not compare with flesh and blood when the Lord... Because this is the same man that says, I delivered to you that which I first received from the Lord. He taught the Corinthian church holy communion from the Lord, not from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He says, I received directly from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He who is able to strengthen you by my gospel. Paul was emphatic about his revelation. Could this, be, have, this have been one of them things? That he had explicit understanding of. And he's writing about Melchizedek. He says, oh, come on. Of whom we have much to say. But hard to explain. And he tells them why. Put it back up. Since you have become dull of hearing. Next verse, forgets Melchizedek and comes for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach, don't forget he's writing a letter. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Oh, I'm 30 years old but I still love Serilac. I can have Serilac for breakfast, lunch and dinner. You should have stayed in kindergarten. Stay here in the NLT. No, give me the TPT. Straight up. Straight up. For you should already be professors. Instructing others by now. But instead, you need to be taught from the beginning. The basics of God's prophetic oracles. You are like children still needing milk. And not yet ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Go on. But solid food is for the mature, whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. And they have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. Keep going. Now, it's the time for us to progress beyond the basic message of Christ, elementary principles, Luke and James says, and advance into perfection. The foundation has already been laid for us. Luke and James says, not laying again, turning away from dead works to embrace faith in God, keep going, teaching about different baptisms, impartation by the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. But, well, with God's enablement, we'll move on to deeper truths. Well. It's impossible to restore an apostate. And he starts to go. He doesn't pick the Melchizedek thought again until verse chapter 7. And by that time, he has come off the deep things that he wanted to say about Melchizedek. So we look at Genesis 14 and we come and look at it in the book of Psalms because the only other person that picked on the Melchizedek link was David. David was the first one to say, Thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. Not the writer of Hebrews. It was David. In Psalms. Twice. Two different locations. So we are now forced to look at Genesis 14. Which is the first um, account. Or the only account actually of Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And then look at David's two um, references. And then look at what the writer of Hebrews says. And then by the Spirit of God. Append some. Exegetical conclusion. That would have not been. The case 
were these people at the time the writer wrote? Macho. Now I hope that drives the message home for you that there's so much around you that can suffer when you don't grow. Imagine such profound revelation that would have been written at that juncture of the letter in Hebrews 5. And it, 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 it gets to me. I know the average, lazy, inconsiderate, irresponsible son of God will say, well, I know, well, anyway, whatever is written there is enough for us to know. You are lazy, you are a witch. If your heart cannot be broken by what broke the heart of the writer, then you are very evil. If your heart will not skip the way the heart of the writer skipped, and instead, you are, as always, excusing away excesses by saying, anyway, we know enough. We know that Mexican is Jesus. What if there was more? Because there was more. There was more. Why didn't it come out? Some people decided to stay on milk. Stunt their growth. And we have to deal with an incomplete book. Even though it's a complete message. Complete message. Complete message. The message is not missing. But some parts of the book is incomplete. Because there were, there were things that Paul should have gone into. That they didn't have the maturity to handle. Because they were still arguing baptism. What you are still arguing till today. You are still arguing repentance from dead works. What you are still arguing till today. That's why I've always told you over and over. I don't have time for some arguments. I don't. Say what you want. I don't have time for some argument. There are depths we are plumbing in God. Trying to chart a course whereby maturity we can unveil the fullness of the counsel of God. People suffer when you don't grow. The only time you can excuse lack of growth is when you have no sense of responsibility. There's no way you can have a sense of responsibility for the precious sins of God that he died for and you will not grow. There's no way. So much happens and goes wrong when you don't grow. It's too expensive a price to pay. And don't sit there and think that your growth is inconsequential. Grow and see. Grow and see. Don't think your growth is inconsequential. There's somebody that will not see the light of Christ until you show it. You, you, you yourself. Doesn't matter what. Let Pav preach 20 series. They will see it until you. And so your growth is consequential. Nobody's growth in the kingdom is inconsequential. And then for fringe benefit, it looks good on you. It beautifies you. It makes you God's most sellable asset. You know what I'm saying? God's most sellable asset. He can deploy you anywhere on his expense because you grew. There's some of you that will not live where you are, not because God cannot, but because you did not grow. You and what you are doing can be catapulted to the global stage if you grow at a global level. You and what you are doing, where you are doing it, the Lord will lift you and what you are doing and send you straight onto the stage that is befitting of your growth if you dared to grow. If you dared to go. So if you stay and you grow in your thing. And you develop capacity for it. You and what you are doing. Can be folded up and sent to the stage that you ought to go. You and what you are doing. So if you despise growth. You despise growth to your own detriment. If you resist growth. You resist growth to your detriment. You see what we always hammer on growing. 
Because the making of a believer vitally, vitally. Remember where we started from? The making of a believer vitally, not positionally. Vitally, positionally does not help anybody on the earth. On the earth, it helps nobody. The growing of a believer vitally is linked to your growth, your metamorphosis, your evolution. You're growing into, changing into what has already been embedded in you. You're becoming is the difference and the distance between where you are and where God wants you to be. It's not prayer. It's not friends in high places. It's not somebody sending you money. It's not where you are, geographically speaking. But if you grow spiritually, you're a blessing. You become a fountain for the distribution of heavenly resources. You become a conduit and a magnet for the same. You handle the oracles of God with accuracy, not deceitfully. Great accuracy with results following. You become a monument for the reality and practicality of the gospel. Because it's not in what you are saying. It's that we can look at you and see in you what you are saying. Are you following me? We can look in you and see in you what you are saying. I don't ever feel like I'm counseling people what I'm not doing. Never! Because we must be a monument for the practicality of the gospel. We must, we must, we must. We must make vital what is positioning. We must, we must, oh we must. And the joy and the good news is that inside you is all it takes to transform. We're not going to pray for transformational energy. It's in you. I'm sorry if you have to pray to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm so sorry. Forgive me and where you were at the time. Because I'm sorry, the Holy Ghost was not a prayer point. In the same vein is how you are in you, embedded with the ability to metamorphose, ability to transform, ability to transfigure, and become a version of you that cannot be traced to who you were before you changed. I wonder who's going to take that challenge tonight. A morph, 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 morph. Oh, I don't speak very well. You can transform. You can. My English is not good. You can transform. I'm not very good at what I do. You can transform. Every time I'm, I get angry, I get angry and I don't real, I realize that I, 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 before I realize that I'm angry, you can transform. I'm stubborn, I'm obstinate. You can transform. I start something, I, I realize I always have to be pushed before I do what I need to do. You can't transform. I find that I easily settle and think about myself and not anybody else. You can transform. Transformation is your heritage in Christ Jesus. It's your heritage. If you are where you are, you are why you are where you are. You can transform. Everybody who is called Hagios can transform. And be better today than you were yesterday. And be better tomorrow than you were today. That's the path of the just as, as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter onto the perfect day. Ah, thank you, Father. Thank you for the entrance of this word. Thank you for the results and the fruit it bears in us. Thank you for grace that enables us to get out of the way. Enable you do out of us what you have done in us. 
Thank you that better is spoken of us. It's not the power generating device. It's not the vehicles that change. It's the Son of God that is the real transformer. That Transformers giving praise tonight. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church you can also send us an sms call us or connect with us via whatsapp on plus two three four seven zero triple eight one double eight six four finally if you would like to give to support the work that we do kindly follow the patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details thank you